We're working through a study on the book of Acts, and if you have your Bibles today, you can turn to the second chapter, because we're going to refer to some verses there. But I want you to kind of start with me this morning and think about this concept. What do you, how do you determine what you know is true in your life? Do you have a set of questions? Is there a criterion? Is there something that, that has to be answered according to, like, you're going to say, okay, we, we see this new product or this new statement. What does it take for us to decide whether or not it's true? Do you need authenticity? Do you need to see follow-through? Do you need to see common sense where people say, hey, we've done this and it works good, and we begin to see where I'm going to believe in it and I see that it's truth? To me, the book of Acts sets before us tremendous truth. Because God's plan for you and me was that he would come to earth, he would bridge the gap between us and a holy God so we would understand what it means to be holy, he would share with us some things, but when he set his plan in, in motion, the thing that had to happen for you and I is that it had, to, it had to take place. There had to be consistency. There had to be movement. There had to be truth. And so when we see his plan in action, we realize he promised us things, and then he delivered. Thus, the book of Acts. The book of Acts shows us that, that the coming of the Holy Spirit was this very important event in Christianity that changed the course of, his, of, of mankind. It changed the course of history. And so when God promised that, it was important for him to deliver that. So here's what we have to do. The challenge for us is we got to take a hold of it. Now, we're speaking on the concept of power. We call it the Summer of Power 2019. We're going to take that concept of the power of the Holy Spirit and work all the way through the book of Acts. Again, if you're looking for some reading assignments, take your Bible, read the book of Acts. You begin to see some of the plans. It's the Acts of the Apostles. It's the Acts of the Holy Spirit. There's just a lot of important things, but you begin to familiarize yourself with God's plan. Brings me back to what I just said a minute ago. But it's up to us to decide whether or not we want to utilize it. See, we, we can get these facts. We can have a criterion for deciding what it means to, to be a part of the truth. We can do very little with it. Eugene Peterson wrote and put together the message. He also did the living, uh, the living Bible. And one of the things that he talked about here was about Acts. I liked what this said. Because the story of Jesus is so impressive, God among us, God speaking a language we can understand, God acting in ways that heal and help and save us, there's a danger that we will be impressed but only be impressed. As the spectator dimensions of this story slowly or suddenly drawn upon us, we could easily become enthusiastic spectators and then let it go at that, become admirers of Jesus, generous with our our oohs and ahs, and in our better moments, inspired to imitate him. What he's asking us to do is do more than just go, ooh, ah. It's important for us to say, you know what? This is God's plan. I'm amazed at the powerful words in the beginning chapters of Acts. Luke, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and, and you hear that phrase, and again, sometimes I revert to Christianity 101, and sometimes I fill in the blanks for you, but you hear this through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. You and I have to make, make it a point of knowing that God's word was inspired by him. Through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, these authors and writers shared with us God's message so we don't have a doubt. I'm not saying my prayer for us is that we are are put into situations where we have to defend the Bible, but it is important for you and I to know that when people question us about the validity of the Bible, we say to them, hey, 
2 Timothy 3.16 says all Scripture is inspired. It's, it's God-breathed. It's profitable for correction and rebuke and instruction, and, and that's how we live. So if I'm standing here this morning and seemed, seem to be a little bit passionate about it, it's because I see a society that forces us into a corner and says, why do you believe what you believe? What makes you think that what you believe is the truth? 20 years of youth ministry. And one of the questions that youth would ask me a lot was, John, how do we know that what we believe is the truth? How, how, how do we know that what, what Christian, how is Christianity different from everybody else? But how do we know that Christianity is the truth? And I say to you today, one of the reasons is because God the Father set before us this plan and then followed through. And he gave us his word, which is inspired. And as we believe that word, it directs who we are. And yet, we get into a place in life where we are comfortable to do our own thing where we really don't, don't follow through. So Luke shares with us that this, as we get into the second chapter of Acts this morning, that the coming of the Holy Spirit fulfilled so many things about God's plan. And it's important for us to know that. Let me talk to you a little bit about uh, five events to me that are essential well, to all of us, that are essential components to the Christian gospel. And these are five events that point us right to the fifth one is what we're going to talk about today, which is the Pentecost. The Pentecost. First one is in the Incarnation. And the Incarnation, basically, as you know it, is God sending His Son, Jesus, in the form of a baby. I asked this first service, and we know that as? Thank you for three of you that are awake, and the rest of you are kind of going, okay. We know that as Christmas. And, and, and it's, it's, so Incarnation, Christmas, God sent His Son, we see that huge event in the life of the church. The next one is the Atonement, the second event in the series, which was the means by which God could remain just and yes, justify guilty men, Christ on the cross. He put Christ on the cross. He died for us. He gave us the ability to be at one with God. If you remember the salty tapes you used to listen to with your kids when they were little, they talked about atonement and they talked about at one with God. Anybody remember salty? Yeah, okay, good. Those are some of your parents. Yeah, we, when we would travel, we would listen to those things. Man, I got sick of those things. It's the same little word. You know, some of you are going, yeah. It's, anyway, here we go. The third one uh, if you've never listened to him, listen to him. The resurrection. So, I mean, it's a good thing that God didn't take this plan and leave Christ on the cross and we had no benefit. The resurrection. And I wrote it this way. The third event demonstrated that man's three great enemies, death, Satan, and hell, had been dealt their death blow. I like how that, that was put together. So, huge for us because we realize that if we're going to experience the plan of God, he's given us the ability to have victory over death and Satan. The fourth event was the ascension, which was the which showed that the Father had accepted the atoning work of the Son and that His righteousness demands had been met. Jesus rose to be with God the Father. Another important thing for us. Okay, it comes back to the authenticity of the message that the writers shared with us in the Gospels, especially John, which brings us to the fifth event, which was Pentecost. Assures us that the Holy Spirit, or that the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, has come to achieve His certain purposes in the world, in the church, and in the individual believer. Pentecost is extremely important. God said, I'm going to send a comforter, an advocate, a counselor, a peacemaker, and then He did it. Some of us have, have a tough time accepting. Christianity for what it is, because we, we try to, and, I, and I, one of the categories I didn't give you, some of us can be so over-analytical that we get everything broken down so finely that we can't really accept the promises and the blessings of God. And I, and I want to give you that, that freedom today to realize that as you see God following through on His plan, you begin to see the purpose 
for your life and mine. Real quickly, I want to share three Jewish calendar events that centered on a number of annual feasts. Again, pointing to the importance of the coming of the Holy Spirit. The Feast of the Passover celebrated the time when the nation of Israel was miraculously freed from a long period of slavery in Egypt. I wrote here, when the angel of death came over each household, if the blood of a sacrificed animal was above the doorpost, the firstborn was spared. Jesus took care of any need of more sacrifices when he shed his blood on the cross for us, helping us to never again have to worry about that. The Feast of the Tabernacles. Booths and tents reminded Israel of the day during the exodus from Egypt when the people lived in booths made of cut branches, not in houses. This took place when the harvest was gathered, and so they celebrated their goodness as they remembered their deliverance. It was huge to them. And then the third big calendar event was the Feast of Weeks, or Pentecost. It was celebrated on the day following the passage of seven Sabbaths from Passover. It celebrated the beginning of the harvest, called the Day of First Fruits, thus 50 days, Pentecost. Pentecost in the New Testament marked the beginning of the present age of the Holy Spirit. Lots of great material out about the Holy Spirit. One of the ones I'm using for our series is by Billy Graham. He, does a, he did a great job of, of writing a book. A lot of facts there, but you get the idea of how important Pentecost is. So, so let's go to Acts chapter 2. If you've got your Bibles, I want to read the first 13 verses. And this is what I call the experience, and you can kind of catch on what's going on. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native tongue? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans, there's some good stuff about Cretans in the New Testament, and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? And just typical people, some, however, in verse 13, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. They didn't get it. They didn't understand it. The miracle was the powerful coming of the Holy Spirit. Great gathering, people there. I would love to have been a part of the leadership group when this happened. Jesus ascends into heaven. We got all this stuff going on, and, and they're realizing we've got to share the love that he, he gave us, the way our lives were changed, in an organized fashion. And you, that's why I love Acts. They start figuring out there's needs here, and they organize this, and they start doing that. But what a blast to see God in such a powerful way move in this coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. I get it, John. It's June 9th today. I've had a busy week. What are you telling me? I'm telling you this morning that, that as the power of the Holy Spirit came up upon this earth, God's plan was not only to change the people in Jesus' day, but it's to change us today and give us the ability to live according to his power. The revelation. I wrote here the word for spirit. You see it on the, the screen behind me. Numa is related to no. The word translated wind here, it also means breath, 
Both nouns, spirit and wind or breath, are from the verb neo. To, to breathe, to blow, that's from the Bible commentary. See how everything has a purpose? It all starts to fit together. I, I keep going. The presence of the flame was the presence of God, also shown at the times in the Old Testament. Genesis 40, 38. So the cloud of the Lord was, o- was over the tabernacle by day, and fire was in the cloud by night in the sight of all the house of Israel during all their travels. The flame was the, the p- image of God. And God shared that as he followed through his plan. The realization was clarity and understanding. The perception was, was one of trying to explain as we understand it. Now, now think with me for a minute this morning about the importance of learning the truth and then living by it. Because it's one thing for us to, to grab a hold of the Bible and use even Eugene Peterson's comment where we do the oohs and ahs, but it's another thing for us to, to translate that into living. We believe it and we live according to what he tells us. It's very important for us. The next thing that I see this morning is the explanation. And that's, that's found in verses 14 to 36. And I see here that the message was that prophecy was fulfilled. Peter, full of the Holy Spirit, stands and shares with the people what really happened. He uses quotes from Joel in the Old Testament. And he begins to share with them that the Lord has set before them a plan. Verse 21 in that second chapter says, And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. That's everyone. I could stop here this morning and just paint a picture with you as you help me of all the people in your lives and in mine who need to call on the name of the Lord. And that was God's plan. Verse 36 says, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. If you are a person that needs truth, if you are a person that needs facts that point to the truth, if you're a person that needs authenticity and need an authentic explanation, here you go. They are sharing that this is, this is both the Lord and Christ. And that's what Peter feels like he, he establishes. He establishes more of the basis for God to bring salvation to all. That salvation is for you and me. For the grace of God has appeared to all men, bringing salvation to all those who believe, it says in Titus. And that's important for us to remember. Here's the realization. The realization is they were, they were uh, cut to the heart and they began to say, what do we do? And I don't know if I put it, yeah, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? They see that they've seen the power, they saw the power of the Holy Spirit, and they realized, what is it that we need to do? Again, I'm going to lean in for, for just a minute and share with you, my prayer is that you and I live our lives in a way that we stop and ask God, what is it that we should do? Because we see him moving so powerfully where we are. But we're humans, and we live in a world that take care of com- com- creature comforts and take care of the things we like the most, and to see God's plan just be- gets farther and farther pushed off the center of our lives. The third area I see this morning is the end result. And these last verses in the second chapter have been spoken about by many people, and there's a lot of ways to look at it, but it's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And, and what I see here is the message comes as the apostles sense the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. The revelation is, and it says it very spe- specifically in verse 38, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The realization is we're to accept Jesus and to follow through. Where are you living today? Are you living in a world or in a little part of your world that says, hang on to the things that you struggle with? 
and, and emphasize the things that, that happen to you and to me as we go through life, as we've gone through life, and to lift up the bad things so that every time you want to step forward and utilize the power of the Holy Spirit, you are tethered by the realization of you just can't get beyond these experiences. Maybe some of you today, it's sin. And sin has been so prevalent in your life that, that you cannot, you, you have not, rather than cannot, you have not asked Jesus to forgive you of that sin. And so every time you want to move forward in life, it stops right there with that unforgiven sin, that unconfessed sin. And what he wants you to do today is just simply allow him to forgive your sins. I don't know about you, but as I look at life, life gets shorter and shorter because we all get older and older. And I want to be able to look back on my life and, and really see how God has transformed and changed and moved and, and challenged and, and uh, moved us to a place where we begin to see him work in even greater ways. I don't want to just be the same. I don't want to, I'm a boomer. So once a baby boomer makes a decision, we kinda, we're stuck in our ways. I want the Holy Spirit to, to move me on a little bit. Spike me up a little bit. Say, hey, John, you need to do something a little different here today. You need to listen to me. You've got places to go. And, and I can tell you that he has done that consistently throughout my life. I, I was fearful of homeless people, fearful of homeless people. They scared me to death for a lot of reasons. If I had my kids with me, and then the Lord got me to work at Penile Mission in Seattle when I was in ministry up there. Changed my life. Now I'm homeless. No, it did change my life. It's good to be able to, to, to see the need and the ability and the way to reach out to them and to love them and to know that they're people. And, and that was good for me. Went to Rancho Santa Marta. You've heard me say that the first time I went there, it changed my life forever to see these sweet little girls who were my daughter's age singing at the top of their lungs with my guitar songs about how happy they were in Jesus and they had nothing. To see people come into my office time and time again over the last 40-some years and know that they're longing for a change and a, a direction that God has for them and to see the Holy Spirit come and to powerfully change their lives, it's life-changing. And yet we can sit here this morning and say, hey, you don't understand, Pastor John, I've got a lot of things going on. I've got, I'm very busy here. I'm very organized here. And literally when he says at Pentecost, the presence of the Holy Spirit came in wind and there was fire of tongue, tongues of fire, it began to change priorities of everybody. And I ask you today, are you willing to let him change those priorities? Because that's what he wants to do. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's where he's taken us. The realization is to accept Jesus and follow through. I put a quote on the screen by Dr. John McKay. I found this in Billy Graham's book, former president of Princeton Theological Seminary. He says this, seminary, commitment without reflection is fanaticism in action. Let me say that again. Commitment without reflection is fanaticism in action, but reflection without commitment is the paralysis of all action. So if we're just going to sit here and go, hey, great thoughts, pastor, here we go, and, and that's it, and we've got some reflection and we don't do anything about it, we, we realize that we're going to just be paralyzed in how God wants to work in and through us. I want to read this passage of Scripture to you this morning from Acts 2, the last uh, six verses, five or six verses, because there's so many things that come out of this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in temple courts. 
They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. All kinds of stuff comes out from from the early church for us. There's the teaching of the apostles. We have church services. We have sermons. We have people sharing. That's part of it. There is there are potlucks. They would do things. And potlucks might be beyond your time. I grew up on potlucks, man, and it was awesome. In this day and age, we're so worried about what's in them and is there germs. I get it. The potlucks were amazing. There was baptism. They took the elements and they shared them together. They they had hangouts together. They did things together because as they were blessed by what God was showing them, they were sharing it with each other. They took all of their possessions, and they put them all, they brought them all together, and then they started finding out somebody's in need, let's give to them. Somebody else is in need, let's give to them. And it was such a powerful movement that it was incredible. I I told first service, I remember when I first was in seminary, I was single, and everybody felt sorry for me, so they gave me every leftover piece of furniture they could have. I had the ugliest brown couch you've ever seen. Remember that one, Cheryl? It was terrible. And, And it was in my apartment. And I got this chair that didn't match. And as I was driving away from somebody's house, the Lord blessed me by one of the chairs flew off the truck I was in and broke in a million pieces. So I took that straight to the dump. And so I was really glad. When we got married, my wife shows up in our apartment and she goes, John, what, what are these things here? I said, well, dear, I needed a place to sit. And, and they, she said, they're terrible. There's holes in them. Let's get rid of them. So she was making me a little class here. And, uh, but I think back to those days and I think about today. And if you've ever gone on that website, it call, it's, it, I think it's called the world's riches, I'm in the top 3% of wealth in the world by what I have today. No, don't change what you pay me as a minister, but I am in the top 3%. And so are you. Because the world we live in has such, uh, they're, they're, they're in such poverty, it's amazing because the majority of people live in third world countries. And so why I share that with you today is we see this early church coming together and learning what it means to give to see the kingdom furthered. I'm going to share this story again because I did it first service. When we started Mountain View, I had this great and grandiose idea that I was never going to talk about tithing and giving because I felt like the two labels that everybody puts on the church, and I'd seen it all my life through ministry, was all we want is your money and all your time. And I realized as I've been in ministry for 41 years now, we just really want your money. No, um, I realized that I wasn't going to do that. And so we didn't talk about giving. We were seven months into Mountain View, and one of the leaders came to me and said, John, why don't you ever talk about tithing? Why don't you ever talk about giving? And I said, I, I think that's a personal thing between people and the Lord. And he goes, you know they're giving money everywhere, but we're, we're, if he's laying on your heart to give it to Mountain View, they're giving it all over. And of course, in my, you know, my young, well, not too young, but my, my attitude was, well, good, then people are being blessed. But if you look at the Word, and you know this, Jesus talks more about money and giving money than probably any other topic in the Bible. And so here's the early church that realizes that the belongings that, that we own are so important to God that they just gave them to the, to the whole group and said, hey, let, let's just reach out. Imagine, and, and we, I have a, we have a giving church. Man, you guys are good. When, when there's a need, you guys are awesome. So I don't ever want you to think that I'm pouring guilt on you, but, but how fun is it to just to be able to say, hey, Lord, everything I have is yours, and where you want me to give it is great. Let's go to work. My brother called me this week, and he shared a little story with me. As I get older, I become a granduncle, and I have grandnieces, and I have grandchildren, and I love them all. And I have a real sweet little niece, grandniece, that lives in Great Falls, Montana. She's eight years old. She's just a, just a cool little girl. I mean, she's just a lot of fun. She's just got a, a sense of spunk that you would just love. She 
entered a contest. She was voted the best reader in her class. She's eight years old. They took her name, put it in a, a hat for the school, and every class put their name in the hat for best readers. They drew a name out for a brand new bike. And my little grandniece, when they drew the name, it was hers. And from the time she walked from her chair to the teacher, she said, had the teacher lean over and she said to her in a whisper, I already have a bike. Why don't you give this to somebody else? I'm telling you, at eight years old, I'd have said, I want the new bike. You can have my crappy bike. Oops, I'm not supposed to say crappy. You can have my bike. And, and this little girl got it. Because she, and they gave it to a family. There's a family of eight. Little girl didn't have a bike. And, and I, I, just, I can tell you the look on my niece's, my grandniece's face. She was beaming. And that, I believe, is what God wants us to understand that happened in the early church. That people got so excited about seeing the needs of others, they forgot about themselves. Oh my goodness, eight years old, she's already got it. And that's where God wants us to live. So this morning, I, I want to conclude our service in this way. There may be somebody here that, this morning, I, I don't know all of you, some of you are new today, you have never heard somebody say to you, would you like to know Jesus as your personal Savior? We're going to ask you that question in just a minute and give you a chance to respond. There are some of you today that, that realize that the power of the Holy Spirit is right there for you and I to, to grab a hold of and to realize He wants to come into our hearts and our lives and move us beyond where we're living in a comfortable state. So you, you need just to say, hey, you know what, Holy Spirit, I'm ready. Change me, forgive me. And of the first group, there might be a group, group of you who have unconfessed or unforgiven sin, and it's really tying you down. It's really weighing you down. So this morning, as we, we look at that, I want to give you a chance just to, to respond to that and to be able to say, you know what? On June 9th, this is where the power of the Holy Spirit came into my heart and my life and made a difference. Would you pray with me? So Lord, we, uh, we first of all, are so grateful for your love. We're grateful for... God, the plan you have for each one of us in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we don't understand everything about the three parts of who you are, but we do know that in your plan, specifically, they were designed for us. And we're grateful for that. And so, Lord, as we close our time today and as we, we just talk about how, so, how you are so good to us, help us to respond to your leading and to your direction so that our lives can again be changed today. bow your heads with me this morning just as we close give you an opportunity this morning the first group if uh, you would like to answer the question I've never had anybody ask me would you like to know Jesus as your Savior just by slipping up your hand this morning you'd say John I'd like Jesus to be my Savior never asked him into my heart I'd love you to pray with me you just slip up your hand that would be great thank you then there's another group this morning that just by slipping up your hand you say John would you pray for me as I rediscover or try to continue to discover what the power of the Holy Spirit means in my life. And I want Him to reach in me and through me to do amazing things. Yes. Yes. And before I close in prayer, just so you know that there is another group who you are evident to us, the Holy Spirit is active and you're reaching out and you are an inspiration. And I thank you for that. Lord, people are seeking you and I pray that you would just in your small, still voice, Holy Spirit, reach out to them we can mark on June 9th the commitment that we made because we reflected on the fact that you want to work in us and through us. And from this day forward, we will see your power at work. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your chance to be here today. Give us a great week in you. It's in your awesome name we pray.